Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Canine Experts Podcast. Join us as we discuss all the latest advice on training, behavior, grooming, products related to the dog industry, and more. We'll also be interviewing canine professionals from many different levels. Vets, trainers, behaviorists, business owners, and staff from all over the world will be sharing their knowledge and experience. And now, here is your host, Jose Menendez. Hey, Jeff, it's been a little while. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. Tired, but good. How about you? That's good. Well, I've been good. I mean, just a little like uh, sciatic nerve stuff. Uh, when you get old, I mean, something's going to happen anytime. Yeah, stuff starts breaking down. <laughs> oh, yeah. I lost two days of work, but uh, right now, I mean, I'm pretty good. In a good shape. Good. Excellent. I'm starting working out again. So that's good for me. Good. And for my clients, too, because they miss me. <laughs> How's business on your end? Good. Not bad. Got a full house as usual. Have, uh, you know, all the rescue dogs here that I'm working with and uh, private training is picking up. So things are good. That's very good. I mean, the fact that people are getting puppies a lot uh, is helping our business. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, plus people coming out of COVID now. So, you know, the, some of the dogs, they've been cooped up for six months and Oh yeah, start, starting to act like they've been cooped up for six months. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So uh, remember at the beginning we did the podcast and we talked about the post-pandemic uh, dogs and what's going to happen now that people start getting back to work. Yeah, it's so, happening. <laughs> I know, I know it's happening. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want you to start by telling people how the dog's brain work. Why? Uh, because most people expect things that a human can do but not a dog and they look at the dog and they talk to the dog for so long and the dog the only thing is like i really don't know what you're saying and i don't know what to do so you're just confusing me more am i wrong uh, no not necessarily but I, I think um what's going on with dogs versus people especially the past six months obviously when you and i did the podcast however long ago it was it was pretty early on i think in covid uh, and, you know, we were both sharing our concerns about separation anxiety and stuff. Right. You know, so for however long now, dogs have had their people around all the time. So, you know, that, that certainly can impact their behavior, right? Uh, you know, from, a, from the standpoint that, you know, people are starting to get out now, even if they're not fully back at work restaurants are open, there's a little more flexibility for them to go out and do something, right? Granted, masks are required when people go out, but at least the restrictions are kind of lifted a little bit where, you know, obviously there's restrictions on going into public places, but at least people are allowed to do that now. So even that, even the dogs being home alone for a few hours compared to maybe an hour tops over the past six months for going to the supermarket or whatever, right? Um, you know, so I, I think that's starting to creep in now the flip side of it is people were walking their dogs more for the past six months right because of yeah. covid and that's really all we could do which was beneficial from a relationship standpoint but again that separation anxiety another thing that and, and people don't want to talk about this and i'm just going to bring it up the human emotions and the peaks and valleys that so many have experienced over the past six months Yes. Our dogs have been exposed to that 
So, you know, any kind of stress, whether it was being out of work or financial insecurity or, you know, being with your spouse every single day for, you know, that that also, yeah. (laughs) You know, so, so these stresses that normally wouldn't have occurred, the dog was exposed to that too. So inconsistent human behavior over the course of the past six months has probably also contributed to some dog's anxieties as well. So uh, again, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't, we didn't talk about that when we spoke on our podcast because, you know, we didn't really think of that, but it's, it's a reality and it's here. And, you know, our dogs, unfortunately are so sensitive to, to energy shifts and, and environmental changes, even erratic human behavior, you know, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, of course people are going to have emotional ups and downs throughout this whole quarantine thing, you know? So I think dogs have experienced some of those uh, factors as well, contributing to their anxiety. But again, like I mentioned earlier, people are coming out of it now. They're starting to reach out to professionals, not just me, but I spoke to a few of my friends down here and and you as well, right? You're up North. Um, and, you know, people are starting to reach out more They're like, you know, fluffy didn't act like this a year ago and i'm like well you know fluffy wasn't cooped up for six months a year ago <laughs> exactly uh and you know and, and we we like to we would like to believe that um everybody took advantage of this quarantine time to work on training and behavior with their dogs and while some people did some people didn't <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah but again it's human behavior you know we we get complacent uh, it may be a little uh, lethargic due, just due to being cooped up, not necessarily because people are lazy. That's just, I mean, you're cooped up in the same place. The, the monotony of that sometimes can get to people. And, you, you know, it's a lot easier to do nothing than it is to do something. So Absolutely. I think we're, we're seeing all of these variables come to a head. Yeah, don't tell them that I warned them. <laughs> so... <laughs> With that being said, uh, we know uh, we know most behavioral problems come from uh, you know disrupt uh, schedule through the day. Uh, you know you go through a habit that we already know, and then you just break that habit completely for months and months and months. And then you're expecting that your dog is going to behave the same the same way he used to behave before the pandemic. It's not going to happen. In either way, it's not going to happen. Dog dogs are become more mellow. Dogs are become more hyper. I have a call, a call phone call every single day. Mm-hmm. every single day yeah. how does the dog brain works uh most people think that they can talk to the dog and they will understand everything they're saying just based on their expression you know it, it's funny because we i just had this conversation with a couple of my students uh you know that obviously I have the fast track class going on but two of my students are local so we've had the opportunity to do some in-person work together. Whereas my other students, we have to rely on video exchange, right? right? Remotely. So, yeah. So we had the, we had the opportunity to work together, but we, you know, when I went to the, I actually went to their home uh, to do some mentor work with them and they were working with their dogs. And, you know, obviously from a mentor standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach them, you know, once the dog understands the behavior and the word, don't keep saying sit, 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 just, one command behavior reward keep it simple right the problem is is that when it's our dogs and you might you you probably can attest to this like i i fall into that where i speak to my dogs in human language sometimes and you know what i mean they get it right most of the time they understand what we're communicating but that's because it's the repetition of 
not just the words, but our energy and that situation. Like, you know, I mean, the routine of feeding every day, the dog's not, I mean, they're not created now, but as because that's how they were raised and keep in mind, Deuce is seven or seven and a half and Sable's seven. As soon as wow. I take, as soon as I touch the food bowls, they both run into their crate. Well, right. Because yeah. that's how they were raised and the repetition of that. Right. So I never changed it. Cause I don't care. I, the crates are in my bedroom. It doesn't impact our house. They like it. So, you know, they yeah. go in and out however they want. Um, you know, so they go in there and I feed them. Right. So there's times when maybe they're a little amped up. Right. And they're not running into their crate. I'm like, Hey, come on guys, you know what to do. And they go run in their crate. Now that goes against everything we as dog trainers teach people. Yes. <laughs> right. So what I was telling my students is that sometimes through the course of having a relationship with our dog, sometimes we speak a little too much. Right. And while repetition relationship and just the course of, of dogs learning organically as being a part of a household. Yeah. They, they catch on, but generally speaking, we need to keep things simple for your viewers, right? We're assuming that they're trying to teach their dogs new behaviors. When you're teaching new behaviors, dogs have no idea what the hell you're talking about if you're talking too much. It's really that simple, right? Uh, and it's like I teach my students like a, like a simple sit command. I will shape the sit. I will shape the behavior. I won't even use sit. I won't even say the word. I will shape the behavior with food lures for maybe 20 or 30 reps then I add a word, sit, right? Because I want to shape the behavior. I want to mark it with a food reward and a vote and a verbal reward. And then I assign a word to it and pair it all together, right? Because that's, that's, how, they, that's how they're going to learn, right? It's, you know, shaping or how, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, it's, but the repetition of the food lore and putting them at the position with the food lore and then assigning the word to it, it keeps things simple, especially when you're learning, when you're teaching new behaviors, right? And then the repetition of that creates the reliability. Uh, and I use sit because if, if you have a, 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 a reliable sit and you're utilizing that obedience behavior in a variety of situations, your communication is going to be a little easier for maybe other verbal cues that you have to introduce. But um, I think where you're going with this is people tend to talk to their dogs too much. And I think where they go wrong sometimes is not necessarily what's coming out of their mouth, but how it's coming out of their mouth. Um, you know, the anxious dog who's just really apprehensive, maybe has some social deficiency and that loving mom or loving dad, they offer that super loving, calming paternal or maternal voice and nurturing could potentially create or cause or contribute to the, the anxiety the dog is already experiencing, right? Where if you have an anxious dog, right. you generally, in my opinion, the best line of defense with the exception of safety, right? If there's a safety issue, then yeah, you got to react accordingly. Right. Um, but generally speaking, ignore, right? Yes. When the dog calms down, then give them attention, right? Or if you have a super happy-go-lucky, doofy Labrador who tends to jump on people and you have the owner going, now, now, get down. <laughs> Like, <laughs> now, I mean, you know, to me, something like jumping as friendly as it is, is a physically escalating behavior. Right. So that, to me, that's either acceptable or it isn't acceptable. There's no gray areas. Think black and white, I tell owners, right? Do you want your dog to jump? No. Okay, then your verbal cue needs to come across that way. Off. 
good girl and have contrast between your, your command or some trainers prefer to use the word cue. I don't care. Cue and command are synonymous to me. It doesn't matter. Call it, call it banana for all I care. Right. Um, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, but I like to have contrast, especially with an escalating behavior like jumping, you know, off as soon as all four paws hit the ground. Good girl. Good boy. Right. Have that contrast. Mean business, have a gratuitous reward when they respond. I have a couple of clients. I mean, uh, one of them is elderly, uh, over 75. She's amazingly uh, nice, but extremely soft. And I came up with something that I told her, you know, you don't have to be angry, but please pretend that you are angry. And then automatically she changed her voice. And the yeah. dog started listening. Well, sometimes you're gonna help her to understand. I mean, you're not being mean to the dog, but you have to let him know what it means. If I raise my voice, you're supposed to listen. If I'm being soft, I'm comforting you. Well, sometimes we have to come up with ideas just to help the clients. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, and that's our job too. Like we're not just dog trainers. We're also coaching people on how to help them better communicate with their dogs. And as you know, you know what? Some, some dogs, you can't be too authoritative in your tone. Sometimes you need a softer approach. And we have to be flexible in that regard too. You know, if we have a dog that was severely abused, a stern voice could freak them out. And, you know, I mean, I'm loud and obnoxious anyway, right? Because that's just right. my personality. But when I give commands, I give commands. But due to the nature of the dogs, especially that come into my home for training in my enrichment program, like sometimes they're abused and I can't, I can't expose them to that yet. At some point, I will transition to sit down, come, stay, off, leave it. Good girl. But initially, I just might be like, come on, come on, sit. I might be softer in my approach because that's what that dog needs. And as you know, there's no one size fits all. We have to be as flexible in our approach as we are the dogs that come to us because not every dog is, is the same, right? Not every dog will, will respond to the same approach. But again, generally speaking, most dogs will respond to, and I tell people, just be more authoritative, right? You don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. Just take that damn question mark off the end of your command, you know, <laughs> sit, no, sit. That's all. Same tone, same level. Take the question mark off and you're home free. <laughs> That's it. That's all it takes. It's all it yeah. takes. Because everybody has their own authoritative tone. And, you know, for, like, if there's a house, if I'm, if I'm working with a family and they have kids, like I know five minutes in if they verbally reprimand their kids, which is fine. I'm all for it. And I'm like, let me ask you something. I'm like, you just told your kids to sit down three times. Three times you said it. The fourth time, you changed your tone and you gave them a stern look and they all sat down. And she's like, well, because I meant it. I'm like, that's what you need to do to the dog. I'm going to use that analogy. <laughs> that's a perfect just, analogy. And I tell, just mean it. That's all. Just mean what you say. However, however that comes out of your mouth doesn't really matter as long as you mean it. Right. You know? So and that's what I tell people, like, you know, and, or husband and wife. And granted, some husbands and wives have never gotten into an argument. Um, spouses, I should say, um, have never gotten into an argument. But, you know, most spouses get into some conflict sometimes. It happens. Right. Even just from a roommate standpoint, let alone the intimate factor. Right. Just oh, from yeah. a roommate standpoint. Right. So I tell people, look, you know, usually I'll, you know, whoever I feel is the more dominant figure, I'll look at them and say, so when, when you tell, when you tell her or him to do something, 
do you, and they don't do it and you tell them, you know, five or six times, do you get nicer and softer each time <laughs> or, or do you get more stern each time? <laughs> Most likely. Right? right. So I just tell them, fast forward to the sixth time. <laughs> <laughs> make it easy. Yeah. Just make it easy. So, uh, so here's one thing. Uh, when people send their dogs to board and train, for example, uh, like I have a couple of dogs coming here. Uh, I send them back two weeks and I told them from the very beginning, don't expect that your dog is gonna come out perfectly because it requires time to have a perfect trained dog. I just gonna build that foundation and do the hard job for you to practice, but you need to continue to practice. I found out that most people, I mean, I have to say that every time, so far every time that I go back, because I always go back to, you know, uh, you need to follow up with your clients. Uh, the dogs are excellent. They very well trained. I can tell they've been practicing, but a lot of them, they don't. Why? What do you think is this? Uh, I, I'm trying to understand and come out with to explain clients. I mean, the audience in general, why this is happening. Yeah. So this comes up a lot and it's not isolated to just boarding trains. Uh, but you know, if, if there's any professionals watching this, as soon as I say this, you're going to be like, oh yeah, right? Oh, For yeah. any dog owners who are watching this, I'm going to tell you what our biggest challenge is. And it doesn't, I don't care if it's a traditional trainer, uh, an operant conditional, operant condition, middle of the road trainer or a force-free trainer. We all share the single biggest challenge and that is owner compliance. Yes. Uh, owners following up on their end, right? And it, you know, whether it's private training or board and train now, it, in your case, you have, you're serving the general public with your board and train. Yes. I do boarding and training here. Uh, it's more of an enrichment program for rescue dogs that are literally homeless. They don't have a home. So it's a little different in my standpoint because I don't know where they're going when they leave here. Most of the time, the rescue doesn't even know where they're going when they send them here. They're right. sending them here and then trying to find a foster or something, right? That happens a lot. So what I do is I, I create exit videos. So when I know a dog is leaving, I spend the last couple of days and I just do little video clips of what we do on a daily basis. So wherever that dog goes, who, whether it's a foster or an adopter, they have some video evidence of what we've done so they can kind of emulate that, right? They can practice it and they can see what we've been doing. Um, when we're working dogs, that are owned by someone in my case most of its private training but when i was up in jersey i did boarding and training out of my house for the public i just don't do it anymore for the public i still do private training for the public where i go to people's homes it's the same thing owner compliance is the issue so uh it's like you know if someone any even back then years ago well do you guarantee anything and i always and i still i still say it today i say yes i guarantee that your dog will listen to me <laughs> right. I said, I do, I, I can guarantee that if you put the work in, your dog will listen to you. Right. Uh, and I also have mixed feelings about board and trains. And I know, you know, that's your core business. So not a, nothing against you, but um, like if you need to send your dog away for obedience and, you know, some reliability, maybe some minor behavioral issues, housebreaking, stuff like that. I think it's a great option, especially for people who are strapped for time. Uh, I think if people have dogs with severe behavioral problems, I don't believe board and train is the answer because 
a lot of those times, those severe behavioral problems are environmental mm -hmm. and a lot of the root causes occur in the environment. So, I mean, you know, I mean, how many times do you get a dog, you get a, you know, a dog's leash or a dog comes to you and the owner tells you all the things the dog does and you're like, hasn't done anything like that here. <laughs> oh, it happens a lot. All the time, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's the only issue I have with boarding trains is that we're not training the dog in the environment they're going to be living in. Right. So here I have no choice because I don't know what the environment is because the dogs are homeless. Right. Right. Um, but even up in New Jersey, when I did it, you know, and I'm in North Carolina now for, for people who are watching. Um, but even when I was up in New Jersey, I, I, a, a bunch of my clients were like, you know, and this is after I had a private session with them. Like, can you just take them for a week or two? And I actually turned them down. Now, boarding and training is good money. Okay. I make more, you can make more money boarding and training than you can doing, you know, private training, right? Because you go to their house a few times or whatever. And I had to turn them down because they, it wasn't right for that dog, right? And then others, I'd be like, oh, yeah, come on, send them here for a week or two. We'll get them in tip top shape. But like you meant, like you alluded to, but Jane Doe or John Doe, this is what you have to do when they leave. And now let me ask you a question. When you do boarding trains, do you have like, uh, you have, do you have the owners come by before the dogs leave so you could do some uh, like trend, like transition stuff and work? Well, I, I, I offer for each week, one hour of, uh, you know, um, meeting with them and explaining pass by, I mean, transfer all the knowledge uh, and, and training that they have with, uh, and they follow up normally. Yeah, uh, good. And yeah. for anyone watching, that's the kind of boarding train you want. You want to, you want to, you want a trainer who, yeah, they'll they'll take your dogs in for boarding train, but they're going to expect and require that you make that weekly visit or how, whatever their particular protocol is. That you're you're stopping in and working, and then obviously the handoff when the dog is done. Uh, and I say done in quotes because, as we all know, training is all day, every day, never ends. <laughs> right. No, I'm, I'm very specific from the very beginning. I even have a note on the sections when, before they make an appointment. I said, we, we guarantee that the learning of the dog, but uh, the succeed of the program is, is the follow up. So remember, you need to practice after this. If you don't practice, I can guarantee a success. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's tough to too. And if you have any, like, <clears throat> if there's any like new trainers or people who, who watch your podcast or listen to your podcast that are new to training, uh, you know, don't take it personal if a dog doesn't perform the way you had the dog performing because we can only do so much. Like when you do it, when you do this for a long time, you kind of get thicker skin. You don't really stress about that. You realize you did your job. Ultimately it's the owner's responsibility to follow through with this. And if there's dog owners listening, ultimately it is your responsibility to follow through with the guidelines that are set, that are setting you and your dog up for success. So it's true. I mean, I have a couple of cases. I mean, no names mentioned or anything like that, of course, but I sent the dog back and I said, uh, well, you don't have time right now, but I need to come back and go through the whole experience so you can follow up and keep training your dog. I don't get a call, even though I text him and call every week for a month or so. So when I come back, what am I going to find? You know, a dog that didn't practice, they don't learn, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time for them. So it's yeah. very important, you know, the compliance from the yeah. clients. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, some, some people, you know, have it better off financially than others. And 
they think they're going to send their dog away for two weeks. The dog's going to come back and they don't have to do a damn thing. Right. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, but keep in mind, and this kind of ties into what you asked about earlier, how a dog's brain works. Right. Well, it's, it's pretty easy, right? And it doesn't mean that we as trainers don't have challenges when we're teaching dogs new behaviors, but generally we can get a lot accomplished in a week from a foundation standpoint, right? right. We got a good foundation and then we start building on reliability and testing or what we call proofing the dog in different environments or different situations. Um, that's all well and good, but how dogs retain information is through repetition. Yes. Right. So we do as much repetition as we can, especially, you know, someone like you and me, we're working, you know, a bunch of dogs every day. There's only so much time in a day. We also have other aspects of oh, our, yeah. our career and our, our companies that we have to tend to. Right. Um, so the, the back end of the, of the boarding and training is the most important thing is like, even if you don't, even if you just perform daily maintenance, your dog is going to retain a de decent amount of information. Uh, if you do nothing, they're going to do nothing. <laughs> it's really that simple. If you do nothing, your dogs will do nothing. But if you at least maintain and do some daily exercises, your dogs will not only uh, retain information, but you'll probably, you meaning the owners, will probably start seeing some reliability out of their behavior. Absolutely. Also, another you know, thing that the owners should remember is when we send the dogs back, they don't need to work an hour with the dog. Not even 30 minutes. You can practice just five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes there. And it's all you have to do. The dog already know what to do. You just need to remind the dog that he knows how to perform. I have a rule. So I tell people, uh, because we have the concept of the dog should have a, a command perfectly repeated a hundred times for them to, you know, remember perfectly. Uh, when you trigger that memory, of course, because they're laying down, they just can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you have three seconds to reward your dog because otherwise you might be rewarding something else. So be pretty fast and ready before training your dog. Have your treats ready. Don't just go and do it. You practice three times a day, only five minutes, three times a day for three months, and you have a perfectly trained dog. Consistency. That's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I think where people fall into some uh, challenges, I guess, is, and for anyone, I don't know, or whoever's listening or watching, I don't know if this, if, you, if this is video or listening, who knows, but if you're watching or both, listening, both. okay, so it's both. So if you're watching or listening, your dog responding to you in your living room is not the same as working your dog in Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Your dog listening 100% of the time in the kitchen when you're about to feed her or him is not the same as listening to you in the pet store, okay? You have to go to those environments and work your dog. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I am so happy. Why? Every, every opportunity to work your dog in new environments is one step closer to true reliability. And true, like, okay, a dog that is, for, I, had a, I had a session a week or so ago Totally my fault that I didn't probe deeper when I was talking to the client over the phone because she had some behavioral issues with the dog. And I'm like, well, how is the, how does, how does she uh, behave in the house? And she's like, oh, she's perfect. I'm like, and she listens to your commands and everything. She's like, she is an angel. She does nothing wrong. So, cause normally I, when I do private sessions, I like to start in the home. 
because right. I need I need to cross my T's and dot my I's, right? But you know what? This woman was so convincing, and I was like, all right, whatever. I I believe her. Why shouldn't I? Oh boy. So we wind up meeting at this beach on what was it? A Saturday afternoon. It was packed. Okay. Now. Oh, a trained dog will have a hard time in this environment if they've never been exposed to it, right? Oh, yeah. So we meet at this pavilion, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm assessing the dog, saying hello, and I gave her a sit. I'm like, so what, what are all the commands that she knows? She was like, oh, you just did it. I'm like, sit? That's all she knows? <laughs> and then now we're laughing because, you know, I'm, make, I'm making fun of her, right? But you know, right. I could tell, you know, we, I could joke around with her a little. I'm like, you told me she listens to all of your commands. She's like, well, I, you know, she listens. And I'm like, oh, God. So now I got this dog that's preoccupied in social settings. Now I have to shape down, come, stay. Fortunately, I had like these new sausage jerky treats. Oh, uh, and they were really like super high value. So I really oh, yes. had the dog's attention. But anyway, so that was a great example of, you know, first of all, faux pas on my part, I got to probe deeper next time. But, um, you know, I can't expect that dog to respond like she does in the house in this new social situation for the first time. But fortunately, we got lucky. This dog was super treat motivated. And oh, that's the, good. the food resource preoccupied the dog from all the other stuff that triggered her. So that was a really good thing. I got I got lucky, right? But good I did. Stuff. Yeah, I did explain to her. Keep in mind, you know, now your dog, we lucked out, your dog is working for me and these treats, right? I don't know if she's going to work for you and a crunchy dog biscuit when you're walking on the boardwalk, right? We don't know until we get there, right? So the, the point being is, is that owners, whatever you're doing in your house to follow up your board and trainer's advice, make sure you take that out into as many situations as, and environments as possible. Expose them and practice with them everywhere. You know, yep. uh, yeah, you take him to the dog park. He didn't come to me. Well, there are things more interesting for him there than anywhere else. It's a different environment, like you said before. So you need to train them there for them to understand that they need to come when you want. Yeah, and, and use the leash if you, you know, owners that are watching. It's okay to have control over your dog, right? If you're trying to teach your dog recall, like a come command or something, and the dog is off leash and they're something else like Jose said is more interesting. You know, I'm first of all, accept the fact that something else is better than you. Right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> which is, it's fine, right? They're dogs. So if you got to put a 10 or 15 or 20 foot training leash on your dog to create that distance for like a come command or something in distractions, you got to do it because if you give the come command and your dog doesn't come, that's what the dog is learning. Right. Right. If you have the leash, you at least can, again, we talked about shaping earlier with the sit. Well, even if you got to kind of reel them in a little bit and still they, until they start coming to you and then reward them when they come to you, that's fine. You can't, you can't teach a come command and the dog chooses to run away. Right. The long leash actually is an extension of your voice. I mean, it's just reminding the dog they need to come back to you. It's a little tough. You're not going to hurt the dog. No. It's and it's, it, it also, you're taking decision-making out of the dog's hands, right? Uh, especially if you're teaching a dog new behaviors or a new environment where reliability is in question, we need to help our dogs make decisions that align with our expectations. And that's what the leash does for us. It eliminates the dog's opportunity to choose to do something else until such time 
again, that we work them and work them and work them. And then we take that leash off and they come to us because they want to, because coming to us is a good thing. Right. Like taking them off the couch. <laughs> put the leash on. I don't want to grab the dog. It's going to put the leash on. Take him out. I say off. And then he will learn. They have to yeah. repeat, repeat, and repeat. Yeah, whatever works. You got to slap that leash on for a little added control. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we're trainers. We do it. Why exactly. wouldn't you? <laughs> Anybody can. I mean, yeah. like I said, like you said before, boarding training. I mean, we do the hard job. We get up early. We go to bed late. We make sure the dog doesn't putty inside the crate. You know, that's very important. Uh, basically, I do only for puppies right now. I don't know why, but I fell in love with puppies lately. Uh, I've seen so many. They're so cute. You just want to cuddle with them. I mean, some of them are monsters biting you and beating you. Oh, boy. Three, three, pu three, three punchers here in my finger. Those uh, damn razor, razor sharp puppy it teeth. Just nice. go through and, and that's it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard. But it's so, uh, uh, how do you call it when you get so much benefit of it? Rewarding. Uh, Yes, extremely rewarding. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. like having a puppy. Yeah, I, I don't care really about the hard job of cleaning around. <laughs> you know, it's part of my life. That's what I have to do. But just having the fact that a little puppy obeys in response to you is, is so rewarding. It's so rewarding. When you send it back, please practice. Don't forget to do that because you don't can forget to. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I'm uh, mentioning that you do a boarding train for these uh, rescue dogs is so important. I mean, it's an amazing idea that you do. You actually are helping these dogs to be more adoptable. Am I wrong? Yeah. Well, that was the purpose of it. Uh, you know, when, when we moved down to North Carolina from New Jersey almost six years ago, one of our deciding factors was so we could have, we could afford more space and more property because right. obviously we have our own rescue too, you know, and we wanted to do get more involved in rescue. I had other ideas, but I, you know, and obviously I did the boarding and training at my house up in New Jersey, but that was for the public. So when we came down here, um, I, I mean, I, I just, I saw the need, uh, and I, you know, I had a rescue friend contact me and I said, yeah, so I just, I didn't plan on doing that specifically when I came down here. I just planned on doing the same thing I normally was doing, but I, especially down here with all the dogs going up North from the South there was a lot of opportunity where all these dogs were going up north untrained. So now we have this option and it's a low cost enrichment program. Dogs just come here for a month and you know, the purpose is to help them decompress if they were strays or from shelter life, uh, you know, and obviously teach them some obedience foundation. Some have behavioral problems that we have to work through and you know, which, you know, that happens sometimes. Uh, but that's fine too. So um, that's that's our goal is to help them decompress, teach them obedience foundation, and make them more adoptable. So, let me ask you something. If anybody's interested in, uh, of any of these dogs, where they should uh, go? They should reach you out, or there is any specific uh, person or or. You mean if if they're to send the dog to me or to adopt the dog? To adopt the dog. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I I deal with twenty five rescues along the East Coast. So oh, wow they change from month to month. Um, but if anyone's ever interested in a dog, if they're in South around Southeast North Carolina, whether it's a dog I happen to have here for training, or I have, you know, obviously I have a lot of rescue friends around here that have a lot of dogs for adoption. So yeah, they can always contact me through my website, jeffcoltonback.com. Um, you know, but petfinder.com is a good resource for people to do like a zip code search on dogs that are available in their area. 
And uh, generally, obviously, there's people that abuse the privilege of a website like PetFinder.com. But generally speaking, they are 501c3 charitable rescues that are only allowed to post their dogs for adoption on PetFinder.com or AdoptAPet.com is another one. Those are good, place, good places that people can go to and, you know, all across the U.S., you know, they can put, do a zip code search on adoptable dogs in their area. But if they're local to me in Southeast North Carolina, um, you know, they could always contact me and whether it's a dog here or I'll help them find a dog. Awesome. Yeah, that's very important. I mean, I, I just love to promote whatever rescue I can find anywhere because, I mean, chances are somebody's going to listen and need a dog. So that's a good thing. And yeah. what you're doing is it's amazingly great. Um, um, <laughs> you mentioned North Carolina. I was just looking around to find a cheaper properties and bigger space because I'm having the same problem that you had here before. That the space is just too small and affording something big here in New Jersey is kind of impossible right now. Um, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Perhaps we'll see you soon. <laughs> well, you let me know. I'll, I'll let you know where to move. <laughs> move. Wait, move next door to me so you can watch my dogs. I haven't been on vacation in 12 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I hear you. I know, I know how that works. And then when you guys go away, I can watch your dogs. <laughs> oh, that would work very well. That would work very well. Yeah, I mean, this job is, is so uh, um, amazing for us. You know, we have challenges every single day we get to know dogs that there being so many things it actually melts your dog melts, melts your heart uh, and working with the dogs makes you a little bit more like humane uh that's what it happened to me i mean abusing dogs is just something horrible a anyway i don't want to get emotional on this <laughs> i still remember my poor dog rescue so we talk about the post-pandemic dogs what's happening right now you know Phone calls getting for distressed dogs that are going through many behavioral uh, problems right now because people are spending too much time with them and people are going back to work. So now the dogs are alone home. And what they find, where is it? Where is he? Oh, I'm going to choose something here. I'm going to choose something there. And then when we board and train, we send dogs back to their home and people lack on practicing. So we want to remind everybody that they need to compliance. They need to practice every single day for this to work. And lastly, you know, um, excuse me, I'm hoping that a lot of students are listening or, or watching this because it's very important to come up front and tell your clients what you're going to do and keep it informed what you're going through every single day. I mean, I normally send videos to people who I post on Instagram and I tell them what I do with a dog every day, send them a text or something like that, but come up front and tell them, you know, this is what's gonna happen. Don't expect a perfectly trained dog because that's not gonna happen. It requires more time much more time well especially with you because you're working with puppies and puppy development is so erratic just through the course of puppies the different puppy development stages throughout the first six months of their life whereas like if, if you're working a, a dog that's two years old two and a half years old and you set that foundation you're probably going to have the dog is going to retain information faster Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, yes. pup, puppies go through a lot of growing pains, physically and emotionally. Uh, you know, like, I mean, how many terrier puppies do you know, when they were six months old, they were social butterflies, but when they turned four years old, they became a little animal intolerant, right? And I, I use terriers because that's a, 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 breed a breed characteristic of the entire group, all 30 terriers or whatever they are. They all have the potential, I'm not saying it always happens, right? 
they all have the potential to develop a little bit of an animal intolerance as they mature, right? Right. So that's just one example of how a puppy is not is literally not the same dog it will be when it's three years old. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you remember, I, I've been reading something that I want to ask you to about the adolescents uh, when they go to the stage about seven months old to a year, uh, you know, even though the dog is training, start challenging you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's happening a lot. Yeah, whether people call it the terrible twos or the terrible teens. Yes. Yeah, you know, it, it happens and I, 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 I don't, I'd love to, you know, there's probably some some information that would suggest pediatric neutering and spaying could contribute to that because the dogs never got to develop and fully mature with all of their hormones, which obviously I'm a rescue guy, so I promote spaying and neutering. But right. from a behavioral standpoint, it is healthier emotionally and physically for a dog to mature hormonally, right? Uh, so I think some of those things could contribute to some of that. Uh, there's also, if we look at neutering, spaying, usually occurs around six months old if they're not pediatric spayed or neutered, right? Most of the right. time people wait till they're six months old or maybe seven months old when all of their adult teeth are in, they got their rabies shot or whatever. And so there's also post-anesthetic anxiety, post-anesthetic aggression, um, you know, post-operative, a lot of things can crop up that seemingly come from out of nowhere but could just be residual from surgery and anesthesia right and you know if, if people are watching you can google uh post anesthetic symptoms with dogs so that could contribute to some of those erratic terrible teens or terrible twos um honestly i think most of it is conditioning because we treat puppies differently especially medium or larger dogs a three-month-old lab puppy is treated differently when it's seven months old mm -hmm. because it's bigger and the things that were acceptable when it was three months old are no longer acceptable. So this dog has been conditioned to act a certain way and now all of a sudden isn't listening. And it's not all of a sudden. This is what you created, right? <laughs> this is what the dog owner created. And now all of a sudden you want it to stop jumping on you, right? And I use the Labrador because when they're two and three months old, they're jumping on your shin and people yeah. are petting them. Oh, what a good girl. Good boy. <laughs> well, fast forward from three months old, fast forward six months. That dog is now nine months old, 65 pounds launching at your chest. And you're wondering why it's not listening. Your dog is doing exactly what you taught it to do when it was three months old. I it's, thank you so much for saying that. It's just bigger. And now all of a sudden it's a problem to you. So I think some of that plays into the whole terrible teens as well It's conditioning and how we treat puppies differently, you know, when they're younger and smaller versus when they're older and bigger. Absolutely. Conditioning is a very important thing. I mean, we know that before start working something with the con condition, the dog, do whatever uh, tool we're gonna use, like a prong collars, like a crate, stuff like that, to, you know, to make him feel comfortable. Um, and we also condition the dog, like you said, to jump without knowing. You just think it's so cute and he's jumping. And when then you don't want to jump, whose fault it is? Yeah, and I, people hate when I say this, but dogs, more so than people, are products of their environment. Dog owners are part of their dog's environment. 
Yeah, <laughs> they see you that way. And remember people, practice home first and then do it outside, but do it everywhere. It's not just one place. It has to be exposed to a different place so they understand how to behave with different environments. Who is in control? Who is in control, you said? Yes. Uh, in my house? <laughs> my wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a reminder to people that you are in control. You have to control your dog all the time. Yeah, and and this is, I agree with the word control. Some people prefer, they don't like that word because it assumes authoritative and that, right? Well, mm. if they're not comfortable with control, um, let's talk cooperation right um because that's really what me and jose mean when we say that we got to be in control and what that means is, is that we're giving our dog a directive there's an expectation that they're going to respond to that directive on the other side of them successfully obeying our cue or command is all good stuff that's our responsibility to give them that reward but they have to work for it and they have to earn it. That's all. That's all it means, right? Just again, some people don't like the word control, right? But we should give our dog structure and rules and guidelines and teach them how to behave appropriately. And, and again, make decisions for them until such time their decision making aligns with what we want from, want out of them. Absolutely. That's, that's so important what you said. Uh, yeah, we don't mean just to be in control of being the mean person, you know. Right, no, but, you know, I, you really, I mean, you really need to have, and, you know, let's not get into, you know, size and capability of certain breeds. Like, you better have your crap together if you have a certain type of dog, right? You, you, if, if you have a, you know, a larger, powerful dog, on Fort, and I'm a pit bull guy, so I'm speaking on about pit bull owners, we are held to a higher standard than other breed owners oh yes. okay like my dogs can't be lunging growling on leash right if if my dog especially my one pit that we rescued from the the shelter up north years ago you know he's got the really short cropped ears and a big head so he's got that real pit bull look right he's a big goof you you saw deuce he's goofy oh, yeah. as hell and sweet as hell but like if if him and a chocolate lab were both lunging and growling at the end of the leash the perception of my dog would be different than that lab simply because of the type of dogs they are. So oh, the lab just want to play. Oh no. Yeah. Look at that people. That's aggressive. Yeah. Or a more appropriate thing, a, a little rat terrier or chihuahua, people would laugh at it. But if it's a larger, powerful breed, they'd be like, Oh my God, that dog's a menace. So yes, we need to be, we need to have control of our dogs. And that comes through like Jose, you know, has been asking me and talking about this whole time is training, repetition, uh, structure, all that stuff. It's our responsibility to have well-behaved dogs. And if we have dogs with behavioral problems, that doesn't mean that we can't work them to a degree where at least they can be in the presence of other things and still act reasonably. Yep. You are right. Jeff, thank you so much. This, this has been such a good uh, podcast, believe me. A lot of people are going to talk about this. I'm hoping that uh, many of our colleagues around the you know, nation or whatever, they can listen to this. And you know, we just want to share our experience, share our knowledge, promote your business. Of course, jeffcoltenback.com. He has a large and rich uh, low-cost program. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, we always have to give back to society. We always have to give back. You know, that's the only way that we live in a really nice society, cooperating each other and being in a network. It's, it's just amazing. Jeff, thank you one more time. Do you want to say something to the public before you uh, get off? Um, you know, thank, thank you guys for listening. And, you know, just remember not dog training isn't, yeah, it's about the dog, but it's also about the relationship between the trainer and the dog owner. And all of us have to work together, the dog trainer, the dog owner, and obviously the dog. So think cooperation, think collaboration, and you guys will be well on your way. Awesome. Jeff, one more time. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you soon again. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Canine Experts Podcast. Don't be afraid to shoot us a message at info at canineexperts.com. Call us at 973-564-6100 and ask anything related to the canine world. Don't forget to visit our blog site, www.canineexperts.com slash blog, where you'll find great info on all the topics. Be sure to tell everyone about our podcast and please subscribe. Stay tuned.